we are in this series uh, called Joshua, and this is our third week. In our first week, we talked about second chances, how the Israelites um, were given a second chance to enter into the promised land that God had given to them. Uh, Forty years earlier, uh, before Joshua uh, took the helm of leadership, they were given that opportunity. They said, you know what? Uh, We can't do this. You're right, they can't do that, but they didn't rely upon God. They didn't trust in God. And so Joshua, this time around, is going to do it differently. And so when we all get second chances, and almost everybody in this room or watching online, you can say, man, I've been given a second chance on whatever area in your life. And uh, so uh, we found out through that that Joshua, the pattern was this, that God keeps his promises. God is going to keep his promises There's no plan B, there's a plan A, and it's God's plan. And God also showed Joshua, and he's telling us he's not going to leave us. He's not going to leave us. He's not going to forsake us. And then he also wants us to succeed. There's nothing wrong with being uh, successful, and successful means following God's plan. And then he's going to calm our fears in the process as we proceed down our second chances. And um, so we learned that week one. Last week, we talked about how the Israelites crossed the Jordan River into the promised land. And that sermon title was simply called 12 Stones. And the reason why it was 12 Stones is because God informed them, look, I want you to take big, large stones in the middle of this Jordan River and bring them over to the side. I want you to create a monument that is to, for you to remember uh, from this day how I led you into the promised land and how you cross in um, cross the Jordan River. And uh, so that's what they did. And when they crossed the Jordan River, they actually um, had the priest and the Ark of the Covenant go first. And as soon as they stepped in the water, the water started to recede and they were able to pass on uh, dry ground. Almost like uh, kind of a, a Red Sea moment, obviously on a, on a smaller scale. But, um, but they were able to cross over. And they were. Um, what we can learn from this is that like I just mentioned, they put God first, the priests and the, and the Ark of the Covenant. When, when you and I are called to go into sort of a new promised land in an area of our life, okay, there are moments in our life it's like, all right, I know God is calling me to, to do this. I know God's calling me um, to uh, this sort of promised land in, in certain areas of your life, whether it be your marriage, your finances, you know, or your health, or certain relationships, and, and it's just things aren't right, and God wants things to be better, and he's calling you to that. Well, when that happens and you move forward, God is telling you through the story, hey, put me first. Put me first. Next thing we found out is, is um, just what the Israelites did. They built a monument. A monument makes a statement before your battle begins. For example, signing up for a marriage counseling uh, before the battle to win back your marriage is a great example. In other words, you're, you're setting up uh, before this battle begins, they built this monument, and it was a, rem- it was a reminder how God led them uh, into the promised land. But before the battle began with Jericho, they set up this monument. Before your battle, before your promised land, God is telling you, hey, what is something tangible you can do to help with this, so for you to look back and say, hey, I did this. That's why we, it's why we baptize people. It's sort of a, a monument moment, okay? Because asking Jesus into your heart and your life is something that is, nothing, nothing happens outside of the Holy Spirit coming to you, but you don't get something in the mail, 
<laughs> from God. It says, hey, welcome to the kingdom. You know, you don't have something tangible for that, okay? Now, obviously, you want to tell people, and that's sort of a tangible way to tell others, hey, I've accepted Jesus Christ, and I'm going to live my life for him. But this is one reason why we do baptism is to show you, hey, it's a tangible way for you to remember, it's a monumental moment. It's a monument that you put in your life to say, I was baptized. And so when the evil one, when Satan comes and says, you know what? I'm not sure if, if you were saved. I'm not sure if you really asked Jesus in your heart. I'm not sure if you really confessed him. Yeah, I did on baptism. Because I told people, we make people do this. We say, hey, have you accepted Christ as Savior? Yes, I have. We make them confess with their mouth. It's a monumental moment that they can go back to and say, yes, I did. God was there. God saved me. And baptism doesn't save you. It's just a monument that points to salvation, okay? The rocks didn't let, didn't, uh, let them cross on dry ground. The rocks, the stones were part of the monument reminding them of what God did. Does that make sense? So there, whatever God wants you to do in your, in, in your life, that, that, that sort of promised land and whatever era in your life, and you know that better than I do, of course, you and God, but there's got to be some sort of monumental moment. And then last thing we learned last week is we've got to consecrate, consecrate ourselves. We've got to make ourselves holy. And they talk about uh, you know, re, you know, circumcising a, a new generation. And it's literally cutting away the things that are unholy in your life. Cutting away the things that are unholy in your life. As you're trying to pursue God, pursue uh, his promises, cut those unholy things out. Well, this week, as we uh, proceed down the story through, through Joshua, um, we, we're at a point where the, the spies have returned from looking at Jericho. They're ready to take possession of the land one city at a time. The first city, Jericho, is the most fortified city in the world. The passage we're about to, to read takes place on the eve of this great battle. Historians, biblical historians and archaeologists have told us, so, so the city of Jericho is about seven or eight acres, okay, within the wall. So imagine a seven or eight acre space. Okay? So it's really not, not really a, a, a kingdom. It's more of a, and with a king, it's more of a, a city with a mayor, okay, so to speak. And so imagine seven or eight acres, and, and you have double walls. You have the inner wall is like, like 30 feet thick, right? I mean, it's huge. And then um, the outer wall is like 12 feet thick, and, so you, and they're tall. And, and in between the inner wall and outer wall, you've got this sort of area that that you know, can be uh, patrolled uh, by guardsmen and, and everything. And so you've got this sort of aisle uh, between the two walls. So this thing is massive. They have taken a lot of time to build this city of Jericho. And, and biblical historians tell us that, that really Jericho, they feel like Jericho is, is, is one of the oldest cities in the world. I mean, time after time, kingdom after kingdom, and, and city after city have been built there at Jericho. So on the eve of this great battle, as you can imagine, Joshua is nervous. Joshua is nervous. This is his first sort of battle as the leader of the Israelites, but he, he can't sleep. And we're, we're going to read this, and, and I'm going to be in jo uh, Joshua chapter 5, verses 
13 through 15. So if you have your copy of God's Word, your printed copy, I want to encourage you to do that, uh, turn to there. And then your uh, digital copy, we have those, um, the verses on the screen as well. But Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, and, when, and that translation means not just near, he was at Jericho. He was at the walls of Jericho. Okay? Now, Joshua was near. He looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So I want to acknowledge here that, first of all, Joshua is a man's man. So he's, he, he, he can't sleep at night. He, he decides to go for a walk. He, he approaches Jericho, and he sees this, this soldier. Now, what we've learned in, in before this chapter is that nobody's going in and out of Jericho. The people are frightened of the Israelites. They've heard of 40 years ago of the Red Sea parting, the Egyptian uh, army being drowned, those kinds of things. And so they are really afraid of the Israelites. And so nobody's around there. So he sees this soldier, and he finds it very interesting. And he approaches him as if to pick a fight. It's like, all right, are you for us? Are you against us? I mean, if I were Joshua and I saw someone like that close to the wall, I'd run, all right? But Joshua is sort of I guess the, the Chuck Norris, right in the Old Testament, and he's like, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to face you. And so we ask that very important question, and we get a very unique answer. Neither. Neither. And he calls, he's called the commander of the army of the Lord. Then we see this, as we just read, Joshua worships this guy without being rebuked which you're not allowed to do to an angel throughout Scripture. We even see in Revelation, John tried to bow to the angel that was giving him the message. Angel's like, no, 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 Don't, you can't bow to me. Send up other, other areas of Scripture, okay? You, you don't worship me. I'm an angel. I'm, I'm a messenger, okay? You don't worship me. So he worships this guy without being rebuked. This man is referred in the next chapter in, in verse 2 of chapter 6, as the Lord, capital L, because this conversation just continues from, ver, from chapter 5 to chapter 6. This is what theologians call a theophany, or an Old Testament pre-nativity appearance of God in human form. Folks, this is Jesus. This is the Christ. You're getting a glimpse of Jesus before he shows up in a manger in Bethlehem. Now, there are several times we see this, uh, this sort of um, appearance of Jesus before he's brought to the earth in Bethlehem, before he's born of a virgin woman, Mary. We see it when he wrestles with, um, with Jacob. We see it when he's in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We see it uh, when he's accompanied by two other visitors, two angels, 
uh, when he approaches Abraham and he has a conversation with Abraham. Abraham uh, says, if there are uh, this many people who believe in you in Sodom and Gomorrah, would you spare the city? And he's sort of striking a deal with Jesus. And so as we look back at, at, at the, the literal translation, Jesus does make appearances in the Old Testament before he is born. And so this right here, because he bowed down and worshiped him, and because Jesus said, hey, look, the ground you are on is holy. You need to take off your sandals. This is Jesus. So there are several key things about what we can learn from this encounter with Joshua and Jesus in regard to our relationship with Christ before we enter a battle. So there's going to be some battles you're going to have to face. Okay, let's just use some examples, okay? Let's say if God's like, hey, the doctor told you you need to, you need to do X, Y, and Z, so that's your promised land. I'm calling you to it, and I'm, have, and I'm speaking to the doctor. I'm speaking to your family, your wife, your husband. I'm speaking to them, whatever it takes. I'm just using this as an example. You could apply this to lots of areas in your life. But let's just say health, and it's like, all right, well, I need to do this. This is the promised land. There's going to be battles. <laughs> There's going to be battles. One battle is if, if you choose to get up early in the morning, uh, an extra hour or, or so, to go to the gym or just work out or go for a walk or whatever, um, I mean, that's a battle. That's a battle, okay? Watching what you eat, that's a battle. There's going to be battles that you're going to have to face. And, and, and I know there are bigger battles in our life, and not, not just kind of health, you know, trying to stay healthy, but there are big battles in our life, and they're all part of what God is trying to lead you towards in your life promised land in the area that God wants you to take over. God's like, hey, I need you to do this. And oftentimes, he wants you to do that because he wants to use you for his glory. He wants you, uh, he, he wants your marriage to be better. Why? To help others. There are marriages that I know that, man, they were on the brink. And God stepped in and said, hey, this is the promised land. I'm, I'm calling you to it. Is it going to be tough? Absolutely. Are there going to be battles? Absolutely. But now those couples are helping other couples who are, are where they used to be. And so God's like, I, I want you to go to this promised land. I have this new life for you in whatever the area because I am going to use you. But there are going to be battles. So what do we learn from Joshua and this setting in regard to Jesus and our battles. First of all, Jesus invites us to surrender. Jesus invites us to surrender. Jesus doesn't come as someone to get onto our side. He comes as one whom, to whom we surrender to. Jesus said, look, I'm, a, I'm on neither side. I, I'm on neither side here. You are to surrender to me. I don't need to surrender to you. I don't need to surrender to your side. You are to surrender to me. 
A lot of us at some point realize that God needs to be a part of our lives. Absolutely. We certainly don't want him to be an adversary. We need him in our family. We need him because things in life are overwhelming us. Or when we die, we don't want to go to hell. That's why we need him. So when we come to God, we want to know how much do I have to do and what do I have to do to get you on my side? Oftentimes, people come to God. They approach Jesus with that. They come to him, what do I have to do or or how much do I have to do to get you on my side? Another question is, how much do I have to give you? How much do I have to go to church? How well do I have to keep the commandments? This is a completely wrong way to approach Jesus for two reasons. Number one, you can never bargain your way into heaven. You can't. Lord, how much do I have to do? How much, how much do I have to go to church? How much Bible do I need to read? How much do I need to get by in order to be able to go into heaven? Now, I know everybody's not like that. But there are some, many people who are. Um, but it's not, salvation is not something that you can bargain. Another reason why that, that approach is completely wrong is, 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 is Jesus is the commander of the universe. He's not someone to get on your side. So here's my question. How do you approach God? How do you approach God? Not are you doing enough to get him on your side or gotten him as a fighter of an army, but have you enlisted yourself as a soldier in his army? How do you approach God? Are you trying to get God on your side? Are you trying to figure out which side are you on, God? God's on his own side. (laughs) And we are to surrender to his will. So when you are facing battles, when you've got people in your life who maybe you're not really getting along with, Said, well, surely God's surely God believes in my side. Mm, no, not necessarily. God wants you to surrender to Him. Now, this is all going to make make more sense as we as we progress along in this encounter with Joseph. I'm sorry, with Joshua and Jesus. So Jesus invites us to surrender. Then Jesus invites us to follow. God is going to be the one doing the fighting in this battle. He doesn't need Joshua to fight the battle for him. That's obvious. He doesn't need Joshua to fight the battle. He is going to use Joshua in the battle. He's going to use him, but Joshua is not going to be the one fighting it. What he is going to tell Joshua is to do is very strange and very unconventional. To walk around Jericho six times. And then seven times. So for six days, Joshua and the soldiers and the priests and the ark, they are supposed to walk around the city of Jericho once and then the next day. Once and the next day. They, They repeat that. They do that six days in a row. And then on the seventh day, they walk around it seven times, and then they give out a shout. 
At no point does God tell us to go fight the battle for him. He invites us to follow him as he fights the battle through us. This makes a huge difference in how you approach the mission of God. The question is not, how do we accomplish the mission and save the world? That's not the question. The question this question leads to constant guilt and feeling overwhelmed for not saving the world. I know because I've lived that for most of my life, most of the calling as a minister of the gospel. But the question is simply, the right question is, what has the Holy Spirit given me to do? What gifts has he given to me? What is he leading me to do with them so I can follow him? Not so I can go change the world. God's going to want to be the change the world. He's going to be the one that makes a difference. We are just the tools, and we surrender him, and then we follow him. Say, Jesus, no matter what you say, I'm going to follow you. I don't, have crazy, I don't care how crazy it is. I don't care how unconventional it is. You want me to walk around somewhere for six days, and then the seventh day, seven times? Sure. I can do that. The, whole, the Holy Spirit is there to empower you. Our job is simply to obey. You know, the purpose of the Holy Spirit when it came on those in the upper room in Acts chapter 2 was to fill them with power, not to instruct them on what to do. Because Jesus had already told them what to do. For three years, he told them how to, what to do. He had already been instructing them. The Holy Spirit guided them as they obeyed what Jesus already trained them to do. It's kind of like riding a bike. You start pedaling. And then you steer. You start pedaling. You don't start steering before you pedal. You pedal. And then you steer. You start obeying, and the Holy Spirit will guide you as you do it. He will guide you and empower you to do what God has called you to do, what he's trained you to do. So like this encounter with Joshua, Jesus is inviting you to surrender and inviting us to follow and it doesn't matter how unconventional that may seem. Third, Jesus invites us to worship. When Joshua sees Jesus, he immediately hits the deck, verbalizes his surrender, and then takes off his shoes. Worship is God's first and primary agenda for us. Worship is his number one agenda for us, for us to worship him. Why? He doesn't, he doesn't need us. And remember what happens in the story. God knocks down the walls. What God is after is a heart's. Your worship, whatever, you, you and I worship, we worship whatever we put ultimate value on. Those things that you have to have for life and security. Jesus wants to be that primary source of significance and security in your life. You and I, we often can substitute that security for other things. Things like money, romantic relationships, recognition for others, 
beauty and fashion. The list can go on and on and on. We try to get significance and acceptance from other things when in reality, our significance and our security, our primary source is Jesus. And where we learn that is when we worship him. When we worship him with our life. I'm not talking about just singing on Sunday mornings. I'm talking about when you choose to live a life of worship in all areas of your life. We're going to get into a, a few of these examples before I close out this message. So Jesus invites us. He invited Joshua, and though he's also inviting us as well, to surrender, to follow, to worship, and then he invites us to victory. Jesus invited Joshua to victory. When Joshua encounters Jesus, he has a sword drawn, ready to fight. When you surrender to Jesus, follow Jesus, and worship Jesus, the outcome is victory. The outcome is victory. You know, I find it very interesting that Joshua changed his battle plan in the final hours. You know, every great leader has a battle plan. So Joshua, the night before he was going to attack Jericho, you don't think he had a plan? Of course he had a plan. They'd probably been planning for days, maybe weeks, based upon what the, what the, what the spies sent back and based upon, you know, geographically where they need to go. I mean, there is a plan to attack Jericho. Joshua has that plan. Every great leader has a plan. But after encountering Jesus, the plan has changed. The plan has changed. After an encounter with Jesus, just like us, I mean, just like Joshua, we need to be ready for the plans to change. We see this in, in, in 6, chapter 6, verse 1 through 5. Chapter 6, 1 through 5. Now, the, the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua. Now, this is a continuation of, of the last part of uh, chapter 5. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. So this plan has changed when he encountered Jesus. Now he could have said, you know, that, that sounds crazy. I don't, I don't see how. I don't see how walking around a city is going to make, uh, make these walls fall down. That's crazy. I, I, don't, I think we're going to go with our plan. Now, how would that have worked out? <laughs> God would have been like, folded his arm and be like, all right, let's, let's see what you got. When God calls you to the battle, he's going to ask you to do something a little crazy. He, he's going to ask you to do something a little unconventional. We'll get a few examples here in a second. 
He's going to ask you to do something a little unconventional, a little like, are you serious? Really? God's like, yeah, I am. Watch this. I would imagine, you know, Jesus just snickering as he was talking to Joshua. So trust when it doesn't make sense. A lot of what God asks us to do doesn't make sense. A lot of what God asks us to do doesn't make sense. So through this encounter with Jesus, Joshua surrenders, he follows, he worships, and then it leads to victory. So I, whenever I preach and, and I, I, I prepare my sermon, I really try to ask the question that you might be asking, what does this have to do with me? This book, this story that you read, that's great, Frank, but what does it have to do with me? How can it apply to my life? So let's apply this in various areas. Because you may have some walls that need to come down in your life. You may have some walls that need to come down in your life. Could there be some walls of relationships that have built up through bitterness, unforgiveness, that need to come down? Could there be walls of finances that have built up? Maybe because of discontentment, maybe a little bit of greed, you know, maybe coveting what other people have, and so you want this, and so you build up these walls financially, you know, or through marriage or health, or lots, lots of different things, but could there be some walls in your life that are keeping you from victory? Because those walls around Jericho were keeping them from victory. Jericho was the first city. They got to go to the promised land to get victory and defeat these people. The walls were in the way. The walls were in the way. No way to get inside the city. So let's use this progression in regard to, say, our finances. Just kind of walk with me through this, if you don't mind. I'm going to use three examples, and I'm going to show you how you can apply this. And none of these may not fit your life, but, but they can, this progression with, with, that we learn of, of, of surrender, follow, worship, and then ultimate victory, you can put into your life. You can plug it in. It's a formula. Plug it in and ride with it and see how it works. So let's look at with our finances. So Jesus is inviting you to surrender. What, is, what does it mean to surrender? Surrender your desires. Surrender your greed. Surrender your discontent. Stop looking at those who have what you want Jesus is, is then, uh, if we continue the formula, Jesus is inviting you to follow his direction with the money. That plan is to give the first 10% of your income to the Lord. God has put that plan in place. God has put that plan in place to follow. If you're going to follow me, all right. So if, if there are walls in your finances, then I've given you the instruction. But Frank, that's crazy to give 10% of my income to the Lord. That's crazy. Yeah, so is walking around a city six times. I mean, yeah, right? I mean, it's crazy. It's unconventional. 
Are you kidding me? Give 10%? Yes. 10%. To the Lord. That's not my words. That's, just, that's God's. So, and of course, you know, God wants a heart of generosity. And that's what kind of leads to that. So God wants you to surrender those things that's causing you, those walls, financial walls. Then God's saying, hey, follow my instructions. And then third, God wants you to worship him, not money, not the things. He wants us to give, not to get the money out of our pockets. So the purpose of giving is not to get the money out of our pockets, but to get the idols out of our hearts. The purpose of giving is not for God to get the money out of your pockets, it's to get the idols out of your hearts. Because where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Generosity is not something he wants from us, but something he wants for us. And our giving problems are, actual, are actually worship problems. Our giving problems is a result of worship problems. Who do we worship? Who do we rely on? Who do we trust on? Do we trust in our abilities or do we trust in God? The way we show we trust God is follow him, his directions, and worship him and say, all right, this doesn't make sense, but here I am. I'm going to give it. It sounds crazy, but guess what? The more you do, that's just more times around the wall. It's just more times around those financial walls. And pretty soon, you're going to start seeing some of those financial walls crumble down. I, I've got our stories. I've, I've got countless of other stories of people where that has happened, where God gets a hold of the heart. And as we surrender, follow, and worship Jesus, his plan for our money, then we will have victory. All right, so enough of that, about that one. Let's look at relationships. I've chosen three things. Here's our second one. After this, we've got a third, and we're done. Okay? So it's not so bad. I know today's kind of like going to the doctor. You might be getting a shot. I tell my kids when they get a shot, they can get a Chick-fil-A milkshake. So after the sermon, we well, can't get Chick-fil-A because they're closed today. But tomorrow, or somewhere, just go have you some ice cream. Man, the preacher stepped on my toes. You know, I got a, you got a shot in your arm. You know, I'm just, I'm just a messenger. So if there is any walls keeping you from victory in certain relationships, then plug this formula from Joshua into your situation. Jesus is inviting you to surrender. So, there, so remember, surrender, follow, worship, and then victory. Surrender, follow, worship, and then victory. So he's asking you to surrender any selfishness, pride, or bitterness. He's asking you to surrender that with people in your life 
who you now have a wall between them. I can't, I can't honestly stand up here and say that I've never had walls or I, I'm still trying to get some walls broken down in some relationships. So I'm there with you. So when I was preparing for this, God led me in your heart and said, you need to talk about relationships. Let's talk about you. <laughs> See, I've already got my shot in the arm. <laughs> so we need to surrender selfishness, pride, and bitterness. And then Jesus is inviting you to follow his plan to knock down those walls. That plan could include forgiving the other person no matter what they said about you or false claims. Sounds unconventional? Yeah. So I was walking around the city walls, forgiving them. Frank, you don't know what they've done. You're right, I don't. Have I had people say things about me and to me that are wrong and are just downright, you know, mean? Yes. Have I, have I had to forgive them? Yes. Am I still learning how to forgive them? Yes. We're going to walk this together. And so Jesus is calling you to follow his plan to forgive them. And then Jesus is inviting you to worship him through this relationship issue by praying for the other person or even praying with them. So you take the act of worship, praying. Instead of just praying for these things and, and you keeping that, that relationship and that wall there, God's like, hey, I, I want you to surrender. I want you to follow and now you're going to worship me, and how, this is how you're going to worship me. You're going to pray for that person. And then some of you may be in, in, in a relationship or, in a, or even a marriage where you need to pray with them. But, Frank, we fight like cats and dogs. You might. But you need to swallow your pride and say, you know what? We're going to. We're going to pray. We're going to pray together. It's going to be awful at first. It's going to be awful. It's fine. It's, it's going to be messy. You're not going to know what, what to say sometimes, but just, just start it. But that is worshiping him, bringing in that prayer. Or it could be in a dating relationship with that. Maybe there's in a dating relationship where there's been some impure actions. Then taking a break to get right with the Lord is worshiping Jesus. Whatever that looks like, worship him. Accepting the invitation to surrender, follow, and worship what Jesus wants from this relationship will yield the victory you desire. Because we all want those walls gone. You know you do. And those relationships... And then last, I kind of looked, uh, I kind of talked a little bit about this earlier. Let's use this example, healthy lifestyle. Jesus could be inviting you to surrender your cravings for certain foods. Jesus could be inviting you to follow his plan for a healthy lifestyle, which could probably mean taking care of your body because it's a temple of the Holy Spirit. Jesus talks about in his word, take care of the temple of the Holy Spirit. You want to take care of your body. 
if he's really calling you to that. You know? There are people that I know that, man, have a strong walk with the Lord. They don't go to the gym. You know? They don't, you know, they, they, you, look, you look at them as like, all right, well, they might need a, 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 a few trips to the, the dessert bar, you know? But God's calling them to other things. But if God is, is, is calling you to a healthy lifestyle, and a lot of times he'll do that, like I said earlier, through a doctor's visit. Again, this is just an example. He will do this. But Jesus could be inviting you to surrender your cravings for certain food and to follow his plan for you to take care of the temple of the Holy Spirit and then also worshiping him. And one way you could do that is through fasting. You just take a day and you fast, okay? Or maybe you fast a meal once a week or whatever that looks like. That's between you and the Lord. And, but y'all, there are so many, so many scenarios in your life that God could be saying, all right, this is where I want you to be. I want you to be here. Here's your promised land in this area of your life because I want to use you to glorify my name and to bring others to Jesus. And before that, I need you here. I just, I need you here. And if God's pulling you and there's gonna be some battles, there's gonna have to be some surrendering, you're gonna need to follow and you're gonna need to worship, whatever that looks like. And then victory is going to happen if you do those things. So spend time with Jesus and ask him, Lord, what, how do you want these walls to come down? How do you want these walls to come down? What are you asking me to surrender? And how, what do you want me to follow? And how do you want me to worship in this area? I mean, if you, if you, could, if you could fit those words into conquering a city, then surely you could fit those, those words and that formula into whatever area in your life. But as we close, I want you to realize something. The walls falling down in the story of Joseph was not the ultimate victory. The victory was actually the Israelites taking the city of Jericho after the walls came down. The walls didn't come down to crush everybody. The walls came down. Israelites, right here, people in Jericho, they're like, uh, we have no walls now. And so what did, what did Joshua and the Israelites do? They took the city. You can read about it there in chapter 6. They took the city. Here's what, I, here, here's what this is telling us. When walls start coming down, don't let that be the sign of victory. You need to take the city. You need to take back that relationship. You need to take back your health. You need to take back your finances. You need to set up certain things in your life to where those walls won't come back up.
Does that make sense? Take the city, whatever that city is, take it. But the walls got to come down, and you can't do it by yourself. Chisel and a hammer, I take you a long time to do that. And there are a lot of people doing that. Let God do the work. You be the instrument. All Joshua had to do was surrender, follow, and worship. And victory happened, just like that. Now, it wasn't easy, but it was humiliating, probably, walking around the walls, people probably on top of the walls, booing or throwing things, or I, mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure it, it looked a little bit ridiculous. Oh, are we afraid of them? They're just walking. They're having a parade. Are we afraid of a parade? Are you serious? So it was, I'm sure, a little bit humiliating. And they had to, he had to set aside his pride. And guess what? We all need to do that as well. So it was a shot in the arm today, as it was for me. God wants something great for your life. He does. There's an area in your life where he's calling you. Hey, I need you there. Let's do it. Let's take the city, and here's the formula how to do that. Okay? Y'all bear your heads, close your eyes. As we close out this service, uh, I just want to give you that opportunity. Just right now, just pretend like it's just you and the Lord, this opportunity. Whatever area in your life, there might be multiple areas. Let's just kind of focus on one. Let's focus on one city at a time. Your Jericho. What, what is the Jericho in your life with the walls and God saying, all right, it's time those walls come down. Ask the Lord this question. What do I need to surrender? I'm ready to surrender. I'm scared, yes, but I'm ready. Then you just tell him, I'm, I'm ready to follow you. I'm ready to do whatever you want me to do, even if it sounds crazy. I'm ready to do that. And then I'm ready to live a life of worship, to point others to you through this Jericho in my life. I'm ready to worship you. Please, Lord, let me have ultimate victory. For those who've never accepted Christ as Savior, the wall is there between you and God. And that wall has got to come down. You can't do that by yourself. It takes surrendering. It's how we come to Jesus. Surrender your heart to him. Follow him. And then live a life of worship. Worship him. He's going to give you victory in your life. Have you accepted Jesus? Heavenly Father, we come before you. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us how we can have the walls broken down in our lives. Not by our strength, but by your strength. Help us, Lord, to surrender and follow and worship. Thank you, Lord, in advance for the victory in our life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.